Osiris. Hey folks, welcome to the Party Pal. It's extremely proud to be sponsored by CBD Vermont. CBD Vermont believes that healthy soils, strong local economies, and plant-based wellness go hand in hand. That's why they work with organic farmers across Vermont to grow the highest quality hemp and to produce full-spectrum CBD extracts for wholesale. They've recently launched an online store where you can buy Vermont-made CBD products including oils, capsules, edibles, and topicals that have been fully vetted by the staff at CBD Vermont. They ship everywhere, and they are offering Welcome to the Party Pal listeners 15% off all products. So go to cbdvermont.com and enter the promo code WTTPP. That's promo code WTTPP to get 15% off. CBDVermont.com. Now let's party. Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night. Welcome to the Party Pal, the mind-bending film and television podcast you didn't know you needed. My name is Michael Shields, and we're sans Brian again today, but we have an absolutely outstanding guest, one who couldn't be more ideal to talk about the film we are here to dissect and celebrate. That film, what I'm so eager to dig into here, is the ninth film by acclaimed director Quentin Tarantino, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood visits 1969 Los Angeles, where everything is changing. As television star Rick Dalton, played by Leonardo DiCaprio, and his longtime stunt double Cliff Booth, played by Brad Pitt, make their way around an industry they hardly recognize anymore. The film acts as a tribute to the final moments of Hollywood's golden age and features an ensemble cast, including Margot Robbie, Al Pacino, and many more, as we'll dig into. It was written and directed by Quentin Tarantino, and for fans of cinema, this is absolutely a must-see. So as I mentioned, I have the perfect person with us to talk about Once, a time, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and New York-based director and comedian Mitch Lucas. Mitch's short films and sketches have been featured on Funny or Die and at film festivals nationwide. He's a connoisseur of film like few people I know and most certainly specializes in the work of Quentin Tarantino. So let's just dive in. 
And away we go. So, um, hey, Mitch, welcome to the, the podcast. Yeah. Thank you thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. When, um, I'm Brooklyn. Yes. When, uh, when, we th- when we were talking about doing this, um, you know, we, I knew we'd want to talk about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. You were the first person to come to mind. I know oh, wow. how you feel about uh, Tarantino. I know how you feel about film in general. I've always wanted to have you on this podcast. So. I'm honored. Yeah. Um, so let's, I don't, you, you know, where do we start with this thing? But um, I think we should just start with some... Uh, General thoughts. Um, I, you know, personally, I'm pretty floored, and it's been like three days since I saw it, and I'm still processing a lot. It's, it's, um, you know, it's. I'm just kind of working my way through a lot of things. I'm curious, what's your um, initial reaction of the film? I'm the same way. I feel like I'm trying to remember every little detail and every nuance, but yeah. it all exists in my head in like little pieces. Mm-hmm. Um, my general reaction to it was that. I, I went into it not sure if I was going to get the real Quentin Tarantino movie that we've all built up in our heads. Yes. And yeah. I think we got it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that it's unfair to like say, okay, make me feel the way I did when I didn't know who you were and mm-hmm. I didn't know what, what yes. your anticipation of suspense yeah. uh, talents were. And then I'm ready for it, but still give me something that excites me. And I think we... I mean, I think he came as close as you can to, like, bringing something, surprising people that knew what they were going to get. Yeah, I mean, we're nine films in now, and yeah. so, I mean, there's no way to avoid expectations. It was uh, it was funny, the first one I took in was, was Pulp Fiction. And, um, right, me too. I was, I was thinking about how I saw it. Me and my older brother went to the movies that night. I didn't even know about it. I mean, I'll be honest, I'll throw myself under that bus. And we went to see The Specialist with Sharon Stone. Do you remember this at all? Uh, uh, Sylvester Stallone. Oh, I didn't. I didn't see that. It's, one. I mean, it's <laughs> don't rush out. But um, we were waiting in line to go in, and we saw all these people milling around the theater, and like just like tons of people were like, "What's going on over there? What's going yeah. on?" So we just, you know, we didn't buy a ticket for Pulp Fiction, but we're like, we're going with them. There's a buzz there. You can feel palpably feel buzz. And we went in blind. We're just blown away. And ever since, yeah. I've been such a such a fan. Same same sort of experience for me. I had seen. The trailer when Natural Born Killers came out, mm-hmm. and I heard the name Quentin Tarantino, yeah. and I didn't know. I thought it was maybe an Italian director or mm-hmm. something. I really didn't know who he was or what it was about. But I saw the trailer and I said, "This has got everyone in it. It seems interesting." I went to my college art house theater, and there, in that theater, they had it in the small room, and it was like one of those rooms that maybe seated fifty people, yeah. and it was the kind of room where you can sit in the front seat of the of the entire theater and actually have enough room for it to feel like you're at a home oh, yeah. watching it at home. Yeah, yeah a bit of those. Um, yeah. I saw it in an afternoon probably with 15 other people in the audience mm-hmm. before it really got busy for the night, yeah. a matinee, and it was the, yeah. the best, no, probably the single best experience I've ever had. Yeah, in a absolutely. It's just, it's, I'm still blown away by it. But it, and that's what's so amazing here. I feel like we were both uh, blown away by this one. So, uh, and it builds up those expectations every time you make something yeah. that you that you want to feel that way again. And how you know it's yeah. it's hard to do that. What everyone knows, absolutely. I mean, but he, I mean, but he has done such an amazing job. If you look at his filmography at this point, and and I, it's am I right at looking at this film? And, and there's a lot more to it than just this generally. But this has to be kind of an ode. To Hollywood, kind of like a love letter to um, a lost cinematic age of some kind. Uh, yeah, it's probably a love letter to a world that both that he 
has a sense memory of and yeah. also a world that maybe never existed. And that's what I love yes. when someone makes a movie is that they're nostalgic for something, mm-hmm. but there's also a longing because they're not maybe they're not sure if it ever really yeah. was that. Yeah, what um, was that you're nostalgic for? Did it even yeah. exist? That's a cool, cool idea. And I think you see that with how much he invents on his own, with it, whether it's red apple cigarettes or yeah. fictitious TV shows or fictitious actors yeah. within real TV shows. He takes the things he remembers and then he seams it all together with his own new ideas and he creates his own version of of a better version of something that probably was you know (laughs) we don't have to smell all the trash and everything (laughs) on spawn ranch and we don't have to smell hollywood boulevard uh you know you you get you get the idealized version yes is red apple cigarettes is that the tie that binds does that show up in all of you know his his you know, they throw around cinematic universe. Someone was mentioning to me because at the end of the film, they have a, a, a spot for, for red apple cigarettes. Do you stick around? I was, yeah, I did yeah. stick around, yep. and I I didn't realize this, but they actually have him in Hateful Eight. Yeah, that's so what I'm saying. So to go all the way back to Hateful Eight, I think that he wasn't Travolta smoking that in Pulp Fiction too. That's what I'm saying. Uh, I think it's a tie yeah. that binds throughout. I, I mean, know. I remember Bruce Willis goes to the, the bar. When he after he's talking to Marcellus Wallace and they've finished their meeting, he yeah. goes to the bar, sort of midday, you know, and gets a pack of red apples from the bartender. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and I and that's another that's thing so that cool. I love about Tarantino movies is everyone's gone to a bar in the middle of the day mm-hmm. and like ordered something and it felt awkward. Yeah, and it's just yeah. those little odd things. <laughs> Absolutely. I don't know how to explain that, but no, it's you know it's, if you're it's a somewhat writer, relatable in the strangest of ways. So this you know this was a labor of love. It took him five years to write. Um, the production, I can't, it just the meticulous production was, it's unbelievable, visually. Yeah, I saw some qu- clips on Twitter or something where uh, the entire highway had been shut down and there was 10 or 15 giant cranes with lights to, to, uh, to light it on their own, because uh, wow. obviously the street lights weren't going to do enough for film yeah and every single car was period and i just kept thinking to myself and it was on a bridge Mm -hmm. or an overpass Mm -hmm. i should think to myself if i was in charge of this i would be having a panic attack right (laughs) now i don't want to be i don't want to have done this so many moving parts i mean that was what i kept when i was just looking at you know the film unfold in front of me there was so much how how like because it was they really they brought you in the feeling was fantastic for me too. The whole thing felt a little dreamlike. Yeah, and you don't really get you don't get it anymore the way he did it because it's so easy to just composite a neon sign mm. in uh, post these yeah. days. You oh, yeah. find an empty you find an empty storefront and you put some green screen markers in the background and then later on you build whatever neon sign you want. Yeah. No, he actually built all of those mm. and you even get a 10 or 15 second sequence where you know all the neon signs are lighting up in the city mm-hmm. uh, from the restaurants mm-hmm. to uh, you know Taco Bell I think yeah. was one yeah, of them so maybe. Was, yeah, yeah. and you just get a chance to watch all that stuff open up and yeah. turn on and like see see the daytime turn into mm-hmm. evening and I think for me someone who you know you take a vacation somewhere and there's that maybe you were at the shore and you get cleaned up and your dad's going to take you to, to dinner mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in another part of the, the resort yep. to the, in you and you're like, Oh, it's getting dark. And not, this is like the resort area. Yeah. It's you, you, your life, your, your sort of sense memory changes. And I think he, he established that as well. Yeah. It's cool. It's cool. What you were just saying about how, 
you know, he, he does really bring it to life. It's like, you know, when we celebrate the practical effects in the original Star Wars, Star Wars yeah. there's something when you really, you know, create yeah. that world. It's, 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 you can tell. And when you have a real, you know, Star Wars is a sort of thing where I think it's probably very difficult to make stuff that doesn't exist mm-hmm. and make it real. But yeah. when, you, when you actually are going to try to make a Taco Bell from 1969... Yeah. It's both easier because it existed, yep. but it's also harder because what? How did? What did they paint the curb of the parking lot? What color did they mm-hmm. paint the curb of the parking lot? What? What? What was the logo of the? They probably didn't have like credit card signs, yeah. but you know yeah. what was? What was yeah, the what was state the of advertising what was the sticker on the door? Yeah. What is? Yeah, exactly. State of <laughs> state of advertising. How do you? How it? do you match every single thing that would exist in that world? I mean, we take the, so many things for granted. In 30 years, is someone going to know how to re- replicate this apartment? Yeah. Probably yeah. going to be very difficult. Yeah, absolutely. Know? That's that's crazy to think about. So, um, the acting choices and the uh, actors and just, I mean, absolutely remarkable. I mean, I, of course, you know, Leo, and it, this was, you know, real showcase piece for Leo and Brad and um, Margot Robbie was terrific. But I, I even loved the... Uh, you know, seeing was it Damian Lewis as Steve McQueen. Oh, that uh, was one of my favorites, wasn't it? It was quick, and I wanted more too. He looked exactly like him. Wow, what I mean, just what a remarkable choice! And, and you don't necessarily think about that. I, I wouldn't see him in a movie and say, "No, is that guy Steve McQueen." Absolutely. But when you cast it a certain way, Absolutely. it's like, well, of course he is. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. Who else could be? The Timothy Oliphant was, I think, James Stacy in it. It was great to see Luke Perry. Uh, um, you know, Kurt Russell. Was yeah, really, really cool to see. We put so many great people in the film that you want each of them to have their own version of of the movie. Yeah. I wanted Luke Perry to have his own chapter in this, yep. and I wanted this to be a six hour movie so that I could have, you know, I wanted to see a full Luke Perry Absolutely. character arc there. Yeah, but we just got a few lines of, a, great of the him. show, but no, it was that, still knowing <laughs> that he's um, not with us anymore too, yeah. which was really, really. Fantastic. He did a lot with with very little. Yeah, he did. Just he, in the eyes, just in his yep. stance. Yeah, it was like. Sort of uh, hobbling into frame. Those are so those 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 western parts are so so cool. So yeah, I mean, the title uh, of the film is a nod to Sergio Leone's Once Upon a Time in the West, and so um, stylistically, there was a lot going on. I mean, there's you know they brought us into some of these um, these westerns. I mean, there's like classic television. There's there's you know not so classic television and, and some of the ones there's, there's western things. I mean, what did you think about the stylistic choices? This mishmash of nostalgia and it really is. Uh, it, it also just adds to your sense of memory. I mean, I don't watch you know westerns on TV Land, but I've seen plenty of yes. them. and yeah. the, he 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 captured things so accurately that you. You have a sense of how it was shot. You have a sense of what Kodak film stock yeah. they captured a certain show on, yeah. or what kind of lens. Or, you know, he knew things about how those guys probably shot the shows that I couldn't even imagine. I mean, he probably knew what crane or you know what literally what apparatus they sure. used to put the camera on, and it's so accurate that you have to just think about the different ways he he matched it. I'm specifically. Uh, there's one sequence where it's the Italian, sort of when uh, when Rick Dalton does his Italian phase, he's in a car chase, and the whole thing had tinted to red. Yeah. So yeah. it's like they shot it on, uh, they, they exhibited it on a poor film stock mm-hmm. that was just meant to last maybe 10 years. Yeah. So now you're seeing a 50-year-old print 
of this film stock that was just meant to go, you know, in the in the trash can, yeah. and now it's all red. And you're like, oh, I'd love to see it in full color. Or they're like, well, we didn't, have, you know, <laughs> yeah. we didn't want to spend money on on the finished master, mm-hmm. so. You know, there was like a disposable quality to whatever it was that they yeah. were making at the time. But now we look at it as, as you know, something like a holy grail. As I'm somebody who would, who collects old film prints. So yeah, you do. You look back yeah. on these things and, and you're like, oh, why didn't they just spend a little bit more money for, uh-huh. a, for a low fade print? Yeah. You know? But I could go on about that stuff for oh, longer no. than we have. <laughs> but Quentin Tarantino knows more about that type of... Uh, about the history of how things were made and yeah. how things look than probably most anybody. And you just, have a, you just have to give it up to somebody who's interested in something and then they follow through with, that's what they're interested Absolutely. in. That's what they're going to show you. I love a quote of his. He's like, um, people always ask me if I went to film school. He's like, no, I went to films. Yeah, you know, like absolutely. I movies and he was obviously soaking it up. But and- you know, he did make a low-budget film before Reservoir Dogs that is not... It, a professional. Pro- uh, I, I think it's I saw my it best friend. Up. Something. Yeah, that's yes, have to that's look exactly it what it is. Because I, I, I was looking through, just looking at the nine and, and going through it, and I noticed that one. Maybe my best friend's birthday. But that sounds right. Actually, we're going to have to yeah, look that up. Don't, but don't hold us to that. Yes. Listeners. But um. So but he yeah. said he learned how to make films by failing on that one, and yeah. he learned enough about it. That's which is remarkable. Which is remarkable. Like yeah. So with all these different shots and I'm thinking of driving in the car all of these different the, those car scenes are really really fantastic um, the ones where you're kind of in the car that kind of yeah. started out and then the ones when you're traveling with um, Brad Pitt's character Cliff the whole thing but I'm just thinking about all the different uh, you know shots and different sequences and just the, the cinematography in general and Robert Richardson is an absolute genius it's, it's absolutely he's yeah. he's someone who's still making you know, epic projects, and I know he's shooting digital here and there, but yeah. he's still shooting these these big, grand, important films mm-hmm. on Kodak film yeah. or or on film cameras, and they took advantage of of film in a way that was so important. Where I, I, one thing that stands out is just early on in the film, uh, Brad Pitt's sort of being released for the day, mm-hmm. while uh, Leo Rick Dalton. Um, goes to his goes to his job. He's like, I can't get you in a stuntman today. Yeah. You're gonna have to hang out. And he takes this long walk from like the house to the car, mm-hmm. and you then see. I mean, I, I have this all out of sequence, but you see a yeah. series of 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 just people walking from the car to a theater. Mm-hmm. Sharon Tate, you know, walking across yeah. the street. And yeah. You take the time to see her seeing the marquee that yep. she's on yep. and she walks all the way across the street and there's no music which is unusual yeah. but it does such a great job of this is actually you know we're just going to take in the sound of cars passing by and the sound of the air of Los there. Angeles yeah. and you know those things really resonate when you sh- when you shoot it in a grand epic way the way he did mm-hmm. those things don't always Resonate when you don't take the time to do it in the most beautiful way possible. But you really, you you're just right there. Yeah. You know how yeah. many how many times have as as a person walked from a parking lot up to a movie theater and it meant something. Yeah. Well, if you could make somebody notice that in the movie, that's a pretty cool thing. Yeah. You're 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 uh, it's you're doing magic. Yeah, it's, it's, absolutely. It's really remarkable. That's another thing I love when you're um, they put you on set in in the western scenes. 
you can't see it. You can they show you at some point they kind of pull the the curtain back and you can right. see the film crew there. But besides that, you're in the room just with them, and I just those scenes are, are some of my absolute favorite in that. Yeah, so. Robert Richardson, he's a three-time Emmy Award winner. He went for JFK, Aviator, and Hugo. and So, yeah, he lands the whole thing in um, 35mm, and I know you believe it's this is the way to see it. Oh, I absolutely believe that <clears throat> with all the work they took into shooting on 35mm, seeing it projected on 35mm, yep. and if you live in New York and not all of your followers will... Uh, Hopefully they don't all over yeah, the year. Yeah, they're not. I've done the statistics. Yep. <laughs> but you've gotta you've gotta do some research if if you're 30 miles out and there's a theater that might have a special screening, and you're really into what you think this movie could be. Yeah. I I really suggest taking the time to go see it in a in a 35 millimeter uh, theater. I saw it at the Nighthawk Nighthawk in Prospect Park. That's where I saw it too. Um, and. It lights up in a way that a digital projection is not going to mm-hmm. light up. The, the the shadows and the black is not going to be as rich on a digital yeah, that's projection. That's like the difference right there. I find it, yep. yeah, I find it as someone who tries to seek out 35 millimeter, but off, but probably 80% of the time sees digital yeah. movies, I find that there's a veneer over mm-hmm. the screen mm-hmm. that you don't get with a celluloid projection. Yep. The other thing that's great is that the actual print that you're watching, it's analog. It physically exists. Yeah. So every time it plays, it's going to get a, a scratch on it. And yeah. it's going to live and breathe oh, like an organism. Yes. So I saw it on the second night. Yep. So how many times has it ran? Maybe 10 total? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe they tested it a couple times yeah. and then maybe they had three or four showings. Yeah. It already had like a, a, the sound cut There's out for a fraction of a second. Yeah. There was already an imperfection Ticks or two. Here, yeah. And obviously you don't want that the whole movie. Yeah. In, when I was a kid, there were times if you saw a movie two months out, there'd be a line the whole way down the movie. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. And you really would be annoyed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, you know, they're taking good care of these things because yeah. they're a specialty. Yeah. They're not the norm. And, you know, they have a life. Every single print is going to be slightly different. Yeah. And, uh, so I'm a collector of Super 8 prints. Mm-hmm. Now, they're very hard to get because they were, like I said before, uh, most of them were printed on very cheap uh, Kodak stock yeah. that went purely red within about 10 years. Oh, no. So I have a bunch, maybe 20, but I have a bunch of of those that are just red, but I bomb because it's North by Northwest yeah. or Star Wars or Jaws. Absolutely. But most people don't know that those things even exist. Yeah. So it's great to just collect them. Yep. But I have a few that I paid... A little extra for British uh, companies put out, uh, like Walton Films put out Hammer Horror, mm-hmm. little digests of Hammer Horror mm-hmm. Films. So you get like 10 minutes of, you know, Twins of Evil or yeah. something like that. And they had had great color and those That's things so are really cool. fun. And it's like a mini version of, of why it's great to yeah. see a real movie in a real 35mm yeah. theater. Absolutely. Um, but so this film, you, you've you got to do it just yeah, to treat yourself. Give it a chance. Treat yeah. yourself. Absolutely. I was, I, was, I was excited you wanted to talk about that because, I mean, it's, it's, there's an experience there. Yeah. I, love, I love how you described it as a living entity. Yes. It's Thank it. you for letting me rant for a good five <laughs> minutes on. You're, that's what you're here for. Absolutely. Uh, before we move forward, just a reminder that Welcome to the Party Pal is part of the Osiris Podcast Network. Osiris it's a growing community of music and culture podcasts connecting people with conversations, commentary, live events, and more. Check out OsiritPod.com for more podcasts and content. Um, I was just listening today 
to one of their podcasts. It's called Which is Better? And they do this thing where they pick two things, whether three comedians, whether heaven and hell or, you know, uh, just, just any two things that would be against each other. And this one, I think, kind of fits into what we're saying that I listened to today. It was Kurt Russell or Bruce Willis, which is better. Oh, wow. And I, I, I've listened to a couple, a bunch of their podcasts, actually. They're really funny guys They're from Nashville, I believe. They're just, just hilarious comedians. And I've never seen them so torn. And, I mean, do you, any, any thoughts at the top of your head right now? You know... Like, both of them have Quentin Tarantino. They, they, they both have Quentin Tarantino in their resume. Yep. I, I'm just going to go with Bruce Willis. You know what? I did. I thought about that. I mean, I think about the grandeur of Die Hard right off the top of the yeah. top. But, I mean, I, just think... I love Pulp Fiction, Fifth Element, Sin City, Twelve Monkeys. But by the end of this podcast, yeah. after they went through everything and went through like their entire career and everything... I was leaning Kurt, and I was really surprised. Really? All yeah. right. Yeah. So I mean, Big Trouble in Little China is... That's... that's Genius. That's pretty great Genius. to have that. They were, they were stuck on The Thing. The Thing was a big one the for thing. them. Uh, Escape from New York is a big one for me. That was a film that really... Okay. I, I caught that. Young Even age. Overboard. Yeah. Just as a comedy. Absolutely. They were saying that, that he, they, they broke it down into genres, too, and he kind of he took the comedy genre with that yeah. one, because, I mean, Bruce, Bruce has had some fumblings in that way. I mean, Bruce, Bruce has three or four massive yeah. victories, yeah. but he's also got Hudson Hawk, Absolutely. he's got uh, Bonfire of the Vanities. Ten, ten uh, yards, nine yards, what is it, the nine or ten one? Nine, oh, the whole nine yards, <laughs> The whole nine maybe? yards and the whole ten yards, exactly. Yeah. Those are, those, those... So those, you know, hold up. Yeah, <laughs> they never held anything. Uh, but yeah, so that's a that was a cool podcast. I want to tell people about that's which is better. That's on the Osiris Podcast Network. Let's get into the story, the narrative here. Okay. Is it something that um, is really really interesting? It, it's kind of like this revisionist look at Los Angeles. And one thing um, I'd like to kind of start with is the this contrast between Rick Dalton and Sharon Tate as. Sharon Tate's kind of the future and Dalton's the past, meaning, you know, he's a leading man whose time has passed versus, you know, she's an up-and-coming starlet who, um, where everything is fresh and exciting and all that. So there's, there's kind of like this old Hollywood versus new Hollywood. I don't know. What, what would you take of the, you know, the narrative? I'll be honest. I thought it was going to be a an interesting or maybe difficult thing to get behind as the crux of the whole movie because that was... The real, that was what I heard the most about is that, you know, uh, Rick Dalton is struggling with feeling uh, obsolete and he's trying to find himself. And what sold it to me was how hard uh, Leo played it. Absolutely. Yeah. He sold an idea that I was not sure if I was going to, basically because it's such a deep cut. You know what I mean? It's like aging, Western, Mm -hmm. uh, movie star slash turn television bad guy mm-hmm. um, having a really bad midlife crisis yeah. it's funny but like you I wasn't sure you know yeah. and he played it in a way that you relates to you yeah. to and, you know I certainly like struggle with like what's the next step for me in life sure. and you know am I gonna find the next thing or mm-hmm. am I gonna am I gonna ever get to the next level of whatever it is I aspire to yeah. so yeah. I started thinking about it on a human level and I started really understanding what the larger importance of that was. Mm-hmm. Every, this is going to last a long time, I think, as a story because generations always 
the younger generation always thinks that the older generation is done. Yeah. And they always make a statement, your time has come, yeah. we're the new generation, yeah. we're changing everything, mm -hmm. and it's going to happen for the next 100 years or yeah. however long the human race yeah. is allowed exactly. to be here. Yeah, exactly. 100. <laughs> top, top I hope it's 100. It, yeah, it might 100. be 30. <laughs> but, yeah. We might get one or two more generations. <laughs> but, but, but they will act in that way, yeah. absolutely. And the, the older ones will have to come to that realization to redefine themselves to yeah. to find meaning and exist and like they always say an uh, athlete dies um a couple of deaths i mean this probably happens to to you know leading men or you know females in the acting world all the time yeah they're like i have to either reinvent myself or move on i had a thought about the whole thing today and i want to talk about it as it has how it relates to the ending mm -hmm. and i won't give anything away until you're ready to go there yeah. but yep. what we go through with Rick Dalton and Cliff, it's we see all these things that we don't know if they're useful, and then they find a way to be useful. Yeah. And I loved yeah. how we don't understand why we care about any of these He's things until they all mean something. Absolutely. And it made me think even about my own life is like the things that you know, the things that I am good at. Maybe that, you know, it's like uh, you never know when they're going to mean something. Yeah. You never know with when what you're doing today is going to mean something later. Yeah. Whether it's that you're writing, you're writing a story yep. Yep. that you, no one knows about and maybe someday it has resonance. Yeah. Or you're learning how you're learning a better way to tie your shoes. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. it's something totally. that's going to mean something. Yeah. But I loved how these guys spent the whole film feeling like the things that they were good at didn't mean enough and then that was all that mattered yeah you know? it wasn't just um uh dalton who's you know uh, uh you know whose whole thing was falling apart obviously cliffs was too he was yeah he was, he was being... taking it differently but exactly did he kill his wife uh i don't think so but i think that she fell off the you think so i think she fell off the boat and he was sitting there smoking the whole time and he was like, just like yeah that's that's, 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 that's okay. unfortunate i love it because i mean you're giving that opportunity to make your that's Excuse me, yeah. make that decision. Then. We'll never know what's in the briefcase, so we have to decide for ourselves what it is. Abs yes, exactly. Our, um, and another question. Our, um, the way they said hippies a lot was like a slur. And I was curious if uh, uh, our hippies and the, uh, the free thinkers of the 60s, the villains here in a, in, in a way, I mean, they, um, are they the ones that changed Hollywood for maybe the worse or put an end to that golden age? I mean... I don't think it's wrong to be subjective as an artist. Yeah. I don't think it's wrong to say... You know, I don't like hippies in, as my voice of this film. Yeah. I don't like hippies. Now, yeah. we might say, look, they did some good things, or they, you know, but I don't mind just watching a movie where the filmmaker has decided these are the people that. This is, this is what they think. Yeah. This is their take on we, it. So I, I think that we were supposed to feel that they were definitely. The, the dark entity of this film. Yes, that's 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 what I was taking away. That's I was kind yeah. of looking for some confirmation. And I was fine going along with that. Absolutely, no. It's it's it's. I mean, and that also goes with the older and younger generation. That's yeah. just what the younger generation was at that time. And yeah, they were, they were a little more experimental and freewheeling. Um, and you think about how many of of those people. I haven't really thought about that era as much, which was so why I was so enlightened by aspects of the film. But like. You, I've thought about how many of them changed over time yeah. and became what they were fighting against. Absolutely, yeah. So what's, it's, what's that old saying? Um, I always saw. Uh, um, who, I can't. 
think of his name, but it was like, you're you're a Democrat up to a certain point, you'd be dumb to not be, you know, turned <laughs> yeah, to a Republican. I think I've some heard that saying. I yeah. can't remember. But uh, we have to, we, we are, everything leads up to this much, much hyped conclusion. And anyone yeah. who's listening, I mean... This is a, a, a don't a, a, listen. Yeah, yeah. Go see the movie <laughs> yeah. and then finish. But it's the a podcast, podcast where it, anyone, you, you get, people haven't have seen the film if they're tuning okay. in, and we always, uh, you know, we we tell people spoilers all the time. But um, that conclusion that that was really something else. I understand how the buzz around it, and I didn't see it coming. It turned on a dime, but like you said, it was set up perfectly. I I really knew. It's like every every Tarantino film that has that moment, you know something's gonna happen. Yeah. You just don't know what it is. Yep. And yeah, I I you could put a quarter down and say 50-50, they end up dying or they don't end up dying, and it's like a paradox world. Yeah. But how it was gonna happen, no one knew how that was gonna work out. Yeah. The way it all played out was so insane, confusing, yep. exciting, yeah. strange. Yep. Um, funny and then funny yeah. and then exhilarating yeah. and, and I know it's controversial mm-hmm. and but that's the whole point yeah. is to I think that's the whole point is to make something that is controversial and yeah. make something that says what if this happened mm-hmm. where would we be as a society you know where would we be as a society if JFK didn't get shot and got all the chance to do everything he yeah. wanted to do would it be better or would it be worse no I don't think that's the point of the movie but it it is very. It's very fun to think about a better world sometimes, you know. What's that? Um, um, Are you talking about the Netflix show or the uh, Hulu show? No, I'm thinking yeah. of um, uh, Owen Wilson's line and. Um, what, what he presupposes is maybe maybe he didn't. Yeah, he's like he's like everyone, so everyone knows C- everyone knows that Custard died in Little Bighorn. But what if he didn't? Yeah, well, my book presupposes this. Maybe he didn't. I think that's exactly <laughs> what the whole thing of the movie was. Yep. Is, you know, uh, what if what if this other thing happened? Mm-hmm. And what I was talking about before is just it's so funny to see. You don't know why you're watching this cut of Rick Dalton in a German uh, exploitation Nazi exploitation with movie with a blowtorch. Yeah. It came home to roost. And then it comes home, and, yeah. and, and I loved the fact that he has no, he had no idea what happened. Yeah. That was what was so funny to me. Is he, he, I mean, he did see them. Oh, when he's them. outside. Yeah, when he's he was he outside, he was crashing through like, the door. He's missed the whole thing. Yeah, and without even, without fun, even questioning. Fun play with perspective there, too. Yeah. yeah. All the madness going on. Yeah. Not just the blowtorch. I mean, just the idea of uh, Brad Pitt's dog and, like, how... How much of a, a, a oh, exactly. thing with that he but was? The, you see I the mean, whole the, dog food the acid sequence. dipped cigarette. I mean that was. Yeah. I mean that was Chekhov's gun to like blatantly. They're just like show you put it away and you're like all right we'll see you again. Um, Cliff's competence either it, it also as like kind of like someone who could yeah. just take people out. I mean that mattered. I mean at the end when he's standing there, you you, you know what he's capable of. Well, they set up a great thing where he goes to uh, the Spawn Ranch and we're terrified or I was terrified. Yep. He wasn't. He wasn't. He wasn't. And we're with him. And we're like, come on, let's go. Let's get yeah, out of here. Yeah. And he's like, let's go a little further. Let's go into he's the door. He's having a conversation between you and the audience yeah. where you're like, let's get the fuck out of here. And he's like, yeah. let's see what happens. Yep. When you now have the Manson family show up, you're like, I'm going to, st-. you're like with him. You're yeah. like, all right, you, you know, you could get us out of this, right? You know? Yeah. It's, uh, they set up, set it up beautifully that this guy was, was going to be able to like, you know, withstand the, 
the danger there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, his confidence, like, kind of, it, it, it you knew, I don't know, you knew what he was capable of. And, yeah, I mean, I, that whole thing, I mean, but, like, people are kind of, like, you know, I'm not going to speak on any controversy too much, but I know people are, are a little bit surprised or off-put, but, like, I mean... This is Quentin Tarantino we're talking about. I mean, yeah. Eli Roth didn't murder Hitler during World War II. You know, I mean, he's, right. he, he, he takes these turns. He takes these chances. He, he, he brings you into these different worlds. And it's, it's something that he does, and I'm glad he does it. Yeah, it's escapism. And yeah, exactly. You what know, movies are. I wish, I wish the real thing didn't happen. I wish people, you know, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I wish it wasn't necessary, but... That's what he, he, you know, that's what he writes about. He writes about things that mattered at one time and he puts a different spin on them. And if you're in the theater, he's going to have a way to make you not think about it for a little while and just be entertained. And that's how I was. I, I'm certainly, I'm certainly someone who looks at the larger picture and thinks about, well, what would the family think about this? What would Roman Polanski think about this? Um, what would um what would uh, Bruce Lee's family? What think would about Bruce Lee's this? family think yeah. about this? Yeah, I was definitely like, why why is he a bad guy? I didn't yeah, know he was exactly. a bad guy. That's he was fun though. He was training. I yeah. think the scenes when he was training um, Sharon Tate's character. Yeah, and I do understand. It's a that. fairy tale, you know. It's a fairy tale, and you go to it to see a different version of things. And you know, even if you don't know anything about Charles Manson or the Manson family, exactly. you know that they did something very random and yeah. very pointless. And you know that it really sort of angers you because it could happen to any, could happen to you, it could happen to any yeah. member of your family, and it happens every single day. And you're constantly reminded of this person because yeah. he lived for, you know, 48, 49 years mm-hmm. after the fact to always remind us of, of how fleeting life can be. Yeah. And I was on, I was just on board to have ten minutes of revenge of yeah. you know a paradoxical revenge brutal brutal guys yeah. and I also like the way um, you know I don't know enough about the the actual um, people who who were you know his followers who who did the murder but um, you know a lot of times they they could be portrayed in a way that's like relatable or even likable I mean they the the way he portrayed them was was. You know, it, oh, wasn't, yeah. it wasn't forgiving in a way. It was, they, but you they, knew they were, who Pussy Cat was. Yeah, you've met. Yeah, you've met. You maybe not met a murderer, mm-hmm. or but you've met that girl in college, yeah. or at a bar, yeah. or in a class, or yeah. something. And you know, you you know you know those types of people. You know, he he takes characters that could be flat. You know, they could be lifeless, and he makes them people you've met in your life. Yeah, and that's what's funny. Yeah. You know, even the scene where. Uh, one of the they're, they they're on the ranch and they cut to the horse riding classes and one of the one of the followers runs up to Tex Watson and she's like, "There's trouble going on. You yeah. gotta go check on this." And then and he's like, "Ah!" And he runs off. She's like, "I'll take over." She just took over now. like smoothly. Yeah. It's just like being at SeaWorld and like <laughs> somebody just got killed by an orca whale. I'm going to be continuing our show. <laughs> it's relatable. It's a funny comedic thing in the middle of a massively. Yeah uncomfortable scene definitely yeah the um it's funny the you know the the ending is absolutely you know it's it's i took you know a weird i felt weird the comically i was taking in and the murders and yeah you know the brutality is intense and shocking but the further i get away from the film 
the less I think about that exciting ending and the more I'm just like caught up in like the nuance of those other moments and him talking to the little girl, the, the scene with Luke Perry, just like a lot, a lot of other things have been, have been flooding my psyche after. Yeah, and, and I don't recall. think, I, th- I think you're given that ending and it's something to take in, but then you had to wait so long for it that you can't only think about that. It's, yeah. it's different than Pulp Fiction in the sense that I think in Pulp Fiction you got three, maybe four really massive adventures mm-hmm. or crazy short films that all had a, a heightened like yeah. intensity. Yep. In this film, you have very smaller crescendos, mm-hmm. much smaller, and then the ending rises higher than any any other quickly. moment. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I mean, you have you have Rick Dalton's great scene where he finally like, you know, becomes yeah, a, a a dramatic actor that yeah. he, that they all want him to be. Mm-hmm. But that's not like a syringe, you know. That's yeah. not like uh, Mia Wallace in the syringe. That's yeah. a more emotional. Mm-hmm. That, that that it's a great moment, but it's not action. Yeah. And you wait for this big action sequence and you get it and you get this big payoff but you you're going to remember all these dramatic totally. more poetic yep. more poignant yeah. uh, parts of the film yeah absolutely I think that's why a lot of people you know see a lot of favorable reviews there's there like a, a profound moments throughout that, that, yeah. that definitely hit people so yeah it's this... hard to it's hard to make a film like we've been talking about this whole time it's hard to make a film where you remember somebody walking to their car yeah or turning on lights yeah. in the store. It just is hard to no, do. No, I mean, the, um, there was a, a, a section just I, I really loved because I was talking about the contrast earlier where Rick was, um, he was struggling to remember his lines and that's kind of, there was kind of being cross-cut in, in a way with, um, with, with um, uh, Sharon Tate watching The Wrecking Crew and being yeah. so happy and listening to people giggling and yeah. just the, the, those, those moments. That was, that was like... To me, that was one of the high points in the film. Oh, you know, yeah. Him, him breaking down and her just being, you know, going the other way. I mean, I'm not going to say I wouldn't have loved a 10-minute monologue by yeah. Sharon Tate <laughs> yes, about, yeah. about uh, Rosemary's Baby or yep. something. Yeah, yeah, totally. But it's not my place to, like, write that. I'm not it's, writing the film. So I'm accepting it, was, it, it as was, it was. Exactly. It was, it was a decision he made as a filmmaker. In, in 10 years, if this film man- manages to still be remembered 20 years down the line even... Will people remember that there was an argument that she didn't have yeah, they won't. enough? I, they won't. I, I, I just think they, that that's not going to be what it's, it's people just, remember. It's, a, it's just a current, uh, the way they act on yeah. the uh, Twitterverse and, it, that, yeah. and that whole thing these days. Um, yeah, so the film film's really, really special. I think it deserved those six or seven minute applause I got at Cannes. I kept hearing about that. Oh, right, that. yeah. People, people. It's, it's really, really special. Um I've been looking forward to this part of this episode, and that's um, to personally ask you, what are you working on? It's something I don't know. It's, um, it's well, just, what, are you, you know, what are you up to, man? Talking about film, talking about shooting on film, I am a, a filmmaker. Um, I perform with some of your uh, uh, cohorts on Godwin Evan. Uh, oh, yes, exactly. My impact yes. team, yep. straight to video. Yep. But uh, right now I'm working on a short film that I wrote and it's starring uh, Katie Hartman and David nice. Carl. Great. And they're it's, so great. They are. Yeah. And they're really amazing they're so in this. Um, it's been a, a really large undertaking, something I didn't know was going to be as large as it has mm-hmm. been. Uh, I thought it was going to be a two-day uh, two day project, and it's been going on for a uh, better part of two or three months. Not yeah. in terms of shooting. We, we had about three days of shooting. Okay. But organization, yeah. uh, getting everybody in the right place at the right time, Canceling some things for things coming up and all that type of thing. What's it? What's it called? 
It's called Coin Catcher. Coin Catcher. And it's about, it's a, basically a sequel to a Happy Days episode where Fonzie yes. uh, helps out this guy become a world record holder for catching quarters off of his elbow. <laughs> so I don't know what season. I know it's probably like season three or season uh-huh. four, but there's an episode where this kid, so cool. he's like, Fonzie, I'm not really good at anything. And Fonzie's like, of course you are. You know, and then he's like, no, not. And he catches a quarter. He's like, what was that? And he's like, I don't know. He's like, that's a talent. Yeah. So I, I so the kid ends up winning the world's record, and I thought, what well, what happens 25, 30 years later yep. to this guy? And so this film follows this ex world record coin catcher as he's down on his luck, and David Carl plays uh, plays the ex coin catcher mm-hmm. who's trying to put that behind him, and he spends his time uh, hanging out <clears throat> at a sort of uh, a variety act club, a sort of nightclub, sort of comedy club, sort of ventriloquist yeah, yeah. club. And the guy only wants him to do his coin catching. But, all, but he just wants... He wants to move on. He wants to move on, yeah. but he also hangs out there and asks if he can sweep up the floor. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and, uh, and he meets Katie Hartman, who's also a struggling uh, accordion player. And, you know, she they sort of... accordion, right? Well, we'll, we'll find, we'll find out. out. Yeah. Exactly. I know, see but they find yeah. each other, and that's what our story's about. Fantastic. Yeah, and oh. I shot it on 16-millimeter film. Cool. And I'm you know, really excited about people seeing something that I made on film. It's been yeah. a dream of mine. Yep, I, I know I, yeah, I, know I you feel about hacked that. together a 16-millimeter camera wow. uh, that was like, you know, somebody was throwing out a couple years back, and I yeah, I, uh, had it restored, and I've been looking for the right opportunity to... Put it to use, and this is what it's become. It's, that is it's awesome. coin catcher. I can't so, wait. So I, um, I will make sure for all the listeners out there that when that is birthed into the world and yes. ready, that I'll. Uh, we'll, it's we'll still let you gestating. Know about that. It's been. We've shot it. Yep. It's editing. Yep. I'm right now, I'm trying to make make it all come that's, together. That's awesome. I yeah. really, really can't wait. I love. Thank all you your so work. much. Um, any other thoughts on, on? I think we touched on everything we need to here. That's. It's, I mean, I'm still like I was telling you earlier, digesting this film, and I'm sure there's so much more that we're missing. But uh, uh, you know, it's. I, I, I. Things I thought about were, I felt like Manson had more lines in the trailer, and they were cut. <laughs> Maybe it was better that yeah, way. Yeah. I thought the one, two, one or two lines he had were very. I don't mean funny in a good way. Yeah. I just meant that they seemed so much like something that a. Like, ever, like he says something like, "Hey, is Terry in there?" or something like that. <laughs> Just reminds me of something that some weird ass guy would say to yeah. you on the street. You know, yeah. do you know uh, Terry? No, I don't know. Yeah. All right, sorry, I'm trying to find that guy. Yeah. I thought it was a bizarre one line you get from Charles Manson, yeah. and then he's sort of out, and and, and it was definitely not That's a movie right. about Charles Manson. Yeah, it, it was, was definitely not, not a Charles not. Manson biopic. No. Um, the final thought I have also was that I read a lot about those guys and what led to all this. And it seems like no one really knows. Yeah. It just seems like these yeah. guys were involved in one weird crime after the other, and yeah. everything just built up yeah. into to what they point. did on yeah. that day. It yeah. just seems. Yeah, bizarre. I don't think the world has made complete sense. There's of it. definitely three or four theories out there. Yeah, but I don't think there's a concrete yeah. reason. Yeah, totally. Well, what a cool film. Uh, thank you for joining us. Thanks I, for I, having I, me. I, I, like I said, I was excited to have you back, and I hope um, that you'll join us again. I'm definitely going to uh, try to pull you back for another episode. So. All right. All right, cool. Thank you, and thank you, everyone out there, for joining the party. Osiris. This podcast is in the loop, the Legion of Osiris podcasts. Osiris is creating a community that connects people like you with live experiences and podcasts about artists and topics you love. Get in the loop at osirispod.com.
about it. <laughs> 